tomb, a risen Christ is who we have come to celebrate this Lord's Day. Uh, thank you so much for making uh, this time part of your celebration as we gather together as a church to celebrate the resurrection. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. Uh, if you are a visitor with us today, you, mind find, you may find that to be an unusual text for Easter Sunday. Uh, but if you're not a visitor, you know we have been walking through Genesis. And what we've been looking at in Genesis is how the gospel, the gospel that we learn about on Easter, the gospel that we see in an empty tomb, the gospel that teaches us about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, the gospel doesn't just pick up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the gospel is there from the very beginning of Scripture. And that's what we've been looking at as we've been walking through Genesis. And if you're a guest with us today, uh, not only are we glad you're here this Lord's Day, but we invite you to come back next Lord's Day and the Lord's Day is to come so that you too might worship Christ with us. And that is what we will do today as we look through this text. Uh, a text about Noah, a text about a flood, a text about God's judgment, as well as a text about God's provision and salvation of man. I'm going to read this for us and then pray and then we'll walk through this together and see if we can connect some of these dots that we see as we look to the gospel, as we look to Genesis chapter 7. If you would, read along with me as we read God's inspired word, His word that He has handed down through ages, that He speaks to us through today. And this is what it says to us. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. The very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, all flesh, in which there was breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days upon the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. 
The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. If you would pray with me for our time in God's word this morning. Sovereign God, we come to you in Christ's name. And Father, we acknowledge that we are here because of you. There may be many reasons that people have gathered this morning. For some, this is their regular weekly tradition. The Lord's Day, they come and celebrate. For others, it's a particular tradition around Easter. They come to church. For others, they've come with friends, with family members. Make no mistake about it, Lord. We are here because you have drawn us here. And so, Father, we pray you would do with us as you please, that you would teach us and lead us. And, Lord, that you would draw us to repentance and faith, that we would trust in Jesus this Lord's Day. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Easter can mean different things for a lot of folks. Uh, I've already mentioned, we we come on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, Perhaps that's the tradition you grew up in. Perhaps you grew up in another uh, in my home growing up, uh, we were not really involved in church that much. And so for us, Easter was about Easter bunnies and chocolate candy and Easter eggs and all kinds of things like that. And in fact, my, my first Easter memory was when I was just a few years old. Uh, that year for Easter, my parents had gotten me a, a chocolate bunny. The kids, you know, there's two types of chocolate bunnies. There's the really good ones that are solid. There's the really cheap ones that are hollow. My parents got me the cheap one that was hollow, and so I blame this on them. I drop the bunny, and what do cheap, hollow bunnies do when you drop them? They break, because they're cheap and hollow. And I was young, I wasn't really sure what to do with my broken bunny, and so I quickly went to the bathroom and flushed it down the toilet. This was not a good Easter for my family. Uh, we had just moved into this home, we were still in boxes, uh, my father couldn't find a plunger anywhere, and let's just say he and my mother had a series of conversations that didn't go so well that ended in my sister and I and my mom in the car going down the street one way and my father knocking on the doors the other way looking for a plunger on Easter Sunday morning. Those were the types of memories I had growing up. It wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I came to understand that that Easter is about something radically different. Easter is about an empty tomb. Easter is about a resurrection. Easter is about the gospel. The gospel simply tells us this, and we've looked at this as we walk through Genesis, that that God created man. That that man rebelled against God and sinned. That God gave a consequence of that sin, that consequence being death and separation. But in the midst of that consequence, God gave a promise. A promise that one would come from Eve who would defeat sin and death. 
And that is what we have in Easter morning. The One who did. Christ Jesus who came. Fully God, fully man. And He died on the cross for our sin. Not only did He die for our sin, but on the third day as we've sang this morning, as we've already worshipped and celebrated, He rose again. The tomb was empty. That's what Easter's about. That's what the Scripture's about. That's what all of the Scripture is about. As I've already said, we don't just pick up with the Gospel in the New Testament. We see the Gospel throughout the Old. And, and we see God presenting to us a, a story. And it's a story that we see here in an event that most of us grow up hearing about even if we don't grow up in church. The story of Noah and the ark. story that we've spent time looking at in previous weeks story that we'll look at again today. And as we do, I want us to again to look and see how do we see the Gospel in Genesis 7? Is there a connection, and I believe there is, between a, an empty tomb and a full ark? Those are the questions that we'll address as we walk through this text. The first thing we see as we do that, and I've put this in your notes, is that we see in this text, we see in the Scripture that the Lord provides salvation it is God who saves we live in a culture where where people often find themselves in a place where they they want help it could be financial help it could be physical help it could be spiritual help and in their need for help what do they do they try to help themselves or they try to find people who can help them who maybe together with those people they can figure something out the Scripture, though, presents us with a far different solution to our need for help. It presents us with a picture of God reaching down and helping us. And recognizing that we can't help ourselves. And then God is the one who presents salvation to us. We see a picture of that here as we look at Noah and the ark. In the very first verse, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark an ark that He has presented the design, the plan for. We looked at that last week. He has said, Noah, this is how you shall build it. Noah builds it. It says, Noah, go into the ark. You and all your household. He's speaking of Noah's wife, their three boys, their three boys' wives. And then God says this, For I have seen that you are righteous before Me in this generation. And we've addressed this already as we've looked at this text, but as a reminder God finds no one righteous, not because of what Noah has done, but because of what God has done. When you follow through the order in the text, you see that, that God shows grace to Noah. Noah finds favor in God's eyes in the midst of a very wicked and corrupt generation. You and I, perhaps, as we watch the evening news, find ourselves saying things like, well, can it really get much worse? Or we hear about awful things and we think, can things really get worse? And we see a picture in Genesis that, oh yes, they can, because here in Genesis 6, God says that every thought of man was continually evil. It was just wicked. And yet there's one who stands out among this wicked generation who's righteous. It's Noah. Why? Because God shows him grace, and then he responds to that grace through faith that then produces works. And we see those works as Noah is commented on by God, as Noah walked with God. Noah here is found righteous. Noah was part of a righteous family. 
We've looked at that already, how in Genesis 5 you have this righteous line, and in that line you've got these men who despite an ungodly generation, men like Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech and then Noah, they walked with the Lord. And they preached to those around them and let them know that judgment was coming. That it was coming in the form of a flood. And to prepare for that flood, God called Noah to build an ark. God told Noah how he would be saved. It would be through something very peculiar. It would be through this massive ship. And we don't know from the text how much Noah up to this point knew about ships, how much he knew about rain, how much he knew about any of these things. And yet God very specifically says, Noah, I want you to build this massive ship. A ship that we looked at last week would have been about 450 feet long. It would have had... 1.4 million cubic feet of space in it. We looked at how if you just look at the size of an adult sheep, you could have fit 34,000 sheep in just half the ark, or 17,000 pairs of sheep in half the ark. We looked at how God told Noah, I want you to have all these animals in there, but I also want you to have some other things. And we see some of that in today's text. On some, I want you to have seven of them. Why? Because you're going to eat these, you're going to offer these as sacrifices. But still, imagine all that space that Noah had. Now, he would need space for provisions for himself, for his family, for the animals. He would need space for his family. But all that space. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think casually about the ark, I think that it's it's so tight and they're just kind of shoved in there and there's not room for anybody else. But I I think what you see as you look through the Scriptures, there's more a sense of this massive ship and there's room in it. And perhaps as Noah is building this, he's thinking, some of these people are going to repent. Some of these people, I don't know how, but they're going to turn and they're going to come in and God's going to save some. Now God had told Noah specifically who he was going to save. He had said the ark was for the animals, for him, his wife, for his three boys and his three wives. But I can't help but think, perhaps as Noah's building this massive ship, perhaps as he sees there's room in it, maybe he's thinking, God, somebody's going to turn. Noah, this preacher of righteousness, referred to in Second Peter, some, somebody's going to turn to his message. And yet what we see in the text is, no, no one turns. And I don't think it was because there wasn't room in the ark. I think it's because of the wickedness of our heart. The scripture says that all of us have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. And perhaps even today, you find yourself pushing back against that. You find yourself saying things like, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I don't know about terms like wicked and unrighteous. I mean, I'm not perfect, That's a little extreme, isn't it? And To comfort ourselves, we find people that we know who we think of as worse than ourselves, and then we line ourselves up beside that person. We can always find someone who we're better than. We just need to remember there's somebody on this side looking at us, and we're worse than they are. See, when we compare ourselves to other people, it's a not really even scale. The Scripture, though, presents us with a different scale, and it's a scale of righteousness, and it is a standard of holiness. And what we see in Noah's day, what we see in our day, is that because of sin, we all fall short of God's standard. 
But God offers us salvation. And that salvation is through Christ. God provided a means for salvation to the people of Noah's day. And that means was through the ark. He would bring judgment, but He would protect who is in the ark. Today, He says in the Scripture, one day He will bring judgment, but He will protect those who are in Christ Jesus. And just as I believe Noah presented that there is room here in the ark for you, listen to what Jesus says in John 14. Where he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. He gives this open invitation and says, if you will follow me, there's room here for you. But you have to come on God's terms and not on your terms. Jesus follows that statement in John 14, 6 by saying this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In our heart, we, we rage against that. We, we want to come to God on our terms. Well, what do you mean you can only come through Jesus? It doesn't sound very fair. Well, what do you mean, Noah, you can only be saved from this supposed flood that's coming through this one way? And yet that is what we see. God goes on to show how He destroys every, every living thing that wasn't in that ark. The Scripture presents the same picture with salvation. For those who are not in Christ, there is nothing else other than the wrath of God. The only way we can come to God is through Christ. The Scripture doesn't present us with any other options. A good friend of mine shared a story with me about how a number of years ago he was up in the Chicago area for school and for work and one day he decided to go a little north of downtown Chicago to an area called Highland Park and a very expensive neighborhood. He took his two boys because he wanted to show them something. That They drove through this neighborhood and they weaved through these elaborate gates and driveways. Most of the homes couldn't even have been seen because they were so far away from the gates going up to the properties. And they, they pulled up to the one that he brought his boys to see. It just had two numbers on the gate. A big two, a big three. It was the estate of Michael Jordan. His boys knew exactly who Michael Jordan was. They were big basketball fans. Their eyes lit up as they realized that's where they were. And he starts telling them about Michael Jordan, about how he lives in this, this enormous estate just up there beyond the gate. And so his boys look at him and they say, Daddy, let's go see Michael. <laughs> Jeff said he looked at his boys and said, Well, that's us. Well, we can't go past the gate, boys. No, Daddy, he lives right there. We're so close. Let's go see Michael. Jeff said he looked at his boys, he said, boys, I know where he lives, but I don't know the man. And you don't get beyond that gate unless you know who lives beyond it. Friends, when we come to the gospel, it does not matter how much we know about God. It does not matter how much we know about His Son. It doesn't matter how much we understand Easter and the empty tomb and what it's all about. If we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that comes through repentance and faith, we don't go beyond the gate. And we'll just stand as bystanders on the other side. We will be outside of the ark. We will be outside of the gate. The only way to enter through is the way that Christ Himself presents with us. And it is through Him through repentance 
and through faith. And this is what God has provided. Not only do we see this this provision in this text, we see also that while God provides salvation, the Lord also protects His people. We, We see His protection in this text. We see His protection in the Gospel. Notice here in verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, it's very specific. It's, a, it's a, a very sharp reference. Noah is saying, this is the day this happened. It was burned in his mind and in his heart. He probably passed it down for generations. That's how important dates are to us. So some of you in this room, if I say certain dates, you, you can tell me exactly where you were and what you were doing on that date. So September 11th, 2001 you're old enough, most of you can tell me exactly where you were when you found out about the Twin Towers. I was sitting in my home office. I can almost see what was on my computer screen, the document I was working on. I can picture the phone ringing as I picked it up. And a friend said, turn on your television. I can remember walking into the living room, getting Sandy Teller and her to come. What is going on? Turning on the TV and watching these events unfold. I can tell you exactly where I was. For some of you, you can tell me where you were on different dates. Because these days stick out to you because something very significant happened. Here we have by far the most significant event to happen in Noah's lifetime. And he knows exactly when it was. It is on his heart and mind. He is passing it down through generations. Why? Because that's when the floodwaters came. And that's when God protected him because while God destroyed through this flood he provided this this vessel of protection in this ark for Noah and for his family think about that for a moment for Noah and for his family Noah's family up to this point in the text we haven't learned a whole lot about them other than their Noah's family We've learned that Noah has a wife. We've learned that Noah has three boys. We know their names. We don't even know their wives' names. But the text has said nothing of the righteousness of Noah's sons, Noah's wife, Noah's wife's, Noah's uh, sons' wives. I think that's significant because I think we have a picture here of God protecting, of God saving because of the righteousness and the obedience of one. Not of many. We know that people were wicked. Not even of his whole family. The Scripture says nothing about them. In fact, as you follow the story, when they get off the ark, you'll see a situation where one of Noah's sons completely dishonors his father, and as a result, his descendants are cursed. It's not really a picture of righteousness there. No, what we see here is God saving Noah, his wife, his sons, sons' wives, because of this. Look at verse 16. They went in as God commanded, not them, Him. Third person singular. This is a reference to Noah. Noah was the one who received the command. Noah is the one who obeyed the command. Others were saved because of his obedience. And the Lord shut him in. Him. Now we know there's more than just him there. We know there's the animals and there's the family What's the picture here? The picture here is of God saving a family because of the righteousness and obedience of one. 
That's the gospel. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because God looked down and He said, man, look at that one right there. Woo! They, they look good. I mean, they, everybody else around them, they're so wicked, but man, that... No. God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. I've said it before. I can look at your eyes right now. I don't have a clue what any of you are thinking. I'm glad for that. Because you and I, apart from Christ, we are wicked people. We are saved not because of ourselves, but because of the obedience and the righteousness of one. And His name is Christ Jesus. And that is the only means through which we can be saved. Noah's family were saved through the righteousness and the obedience of Noah. But Noah is not the hero here. Because notice in verse 16, who shuts the door? The Lord shut him in. Just just picture this for a moment if you can. I, I, I don't know, the text doesn't tell us all the details, but we know as Noah's building this, that he's preaching, he's a preacher of righteousness, the New Testament tells us. We know that people are not repentant. So you can kind of just get a general picture that Noah's building this massive ship that took decades to build, saying, well, me and my wife and my three boys and their wives, we're going to get in this and all these animals. You can imagine people saying things like, well, Noah, how are you going to get the animals? Well... I guess God will bring them to me, okay? Well, Noah, I don't know a lot about ships, but I noticed there's no sail on that ship. How's the ship going to be powered? I don't know. I guess God's going to power it. Well, Noah, there's no oars, there's no rudder. This doesn't look like what we think a ship would look like. And yet, what is Noah left with? Noah is left with, this is what God is telling me to do. And by faith, I'll do this. And he does. And then he gets in it. And if there's people there, and I can only imagine there were, you can imagine them heckling Noah and his family as they sit there in the ark with all these animals. And suddenly, God shuts the door. God shuts it. Friends, not only is that an amazing thing to see in this text, it reminds us of what we see in the Gospel in our own lives. That not only do we not save ourselves, but we don't protect ourselves. We don't keep ourselves safe. God is the one who protects us. He seals us. He covers us. We are not saved by our works. We're saved by His work. To the point that Scripture says we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And that should bring great, great encouragement to us today. Because if I followed you around, and you followed me around long enough, we'd both have reasons why the Lord shouldn't save either one of us. But it's not because of our works. It's because of God's work. We're not secure because of what we do. We're secure because of what He did. I love how one commentator refers to this. James Boyce, he says this, The Lord does not place the safety of His people in others' hands. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've got to take care of yourself, you've got to protect yourself, if you don't have Christ then that's all you've got. But if you have Christ, you have everything. And you don't need to worry about anything. Because the same God who breathed life into the dead is the God who breathes life into the dead today, no matter what it is. That the resurrection we celebrate is a reminder that new life is possible for those in Christ. 
Your crisis, your worries, your anxiety, it's not as big a deal as you think it is. Why? Because we serve a God who preserved mankind through a boat and a flood who provides salvation through a man and a cross and an empty tomb. And there is nothing our God cannot do. That is what we see on Easter. That is what we see in this text. And one last thing we have to note as we look at this though is this. The last point I've put here is that the Lord not only provides salvation and protects His people, but He punishes the wicked. I realize that's not the great encouraging come back next Sunday Easter message. You know, thank you for coming today. God will punish you for your sin. Enjoy your lunch. But that's exactly what the text says to us. In great detail, we see this is not just a local event. This is a catastrophic worldwide event where God floods the earth. Verse 17, the waters increase. Verse 18, they prevail. They increase greatly. Verse 19, so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Verse 20, they prevailed over the mountains hovering above them 50 cubits. That's about 22 feet, 7 meters. Why is it important that we understand that the whole earth was flooded? Because verse 21, all flesh died. In the garden, when Adam sinned, God said to Adam, from dust you have come, to dust you shall return. Adam, you're going to die because of sin. The New Testament tells us We all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. God sees our sin. He offers salvation to us. But at the end of the day, do not be deceived or fooled into believing that He's not going to judge you and I. Because He will. But so many of us think we're going to stand before God and He's going to have these scales. And if we were good enough, our good or outweigh our bad. But it doesn't. No, the only scale before us that counts is that of Christ who was perfectly righteous. And we in God's eyes are perfectly wicked. But at the cross, when we repent and place our faith in Him, He covers us in His righteousness. And that is how we are saved. And then we, like Noah and his family, we're on an ark and we're covered and we're protected and the waters are coming up. But we don't have to worry. Why? Because He protects us. He judges sin, but He protects those in Christ. But if you're outside of that, don't be deceived. Don't think like perhaps some in Noah's day as the waters start coming that they're just going to put together a raft real quick and be okay. Don't think that like so many that somehow there's another way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And that's the question for every one of us this morning. Have you come to God through faith in Christ. As you think about an empty tomb, think about a full ark. The question's the same. Are you on the inside or the outside? We have an empty tomb so that we don't have to be empty any longer. Because Christ says we can come into a relationship with Him and He will fill us. He says, come to me all who are weary. I will give you rest. Take His yoke upon you. He secures us. This is what the Gospel tells us. The question for you and I is where are we? And if you're outside of that, if you're trusting in your works, 
or you're simply scoffing at this Scripture, then the call is the same. Repent, believe, come into the ark. The Lord will shut the door. He will keep you. And He'll protect you until the day that He returns and calls us home to a new heaven and a new earth. And if you're not in the ark, the call is, come in. There is room for you. I pray that you will. If you would, stand with me. We want to offer just an opportunity to respond this Lord's Day to consider this text that God has put before us. If you would, pray for me during for this time. Father, we do come to you in Christ's name and we pray this Lord's Day, this this Easter day when we celebrate the resurrection, our risen Lord, an empty tomb. Father, I pray for any who's yet to respond to that message who is outside of the ark, who thinks in some way they're going to save themselves. Lord, I can't give them a knowledge of the truth. Only You can through Your Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, even now that their scales would fall off their eyes and that they would see the glory of the Gospel and the call to just repent and let go, to let go of sin in their life, to let go of whatever it is that is holding them back and that they would place their faith fully in Christ. And Lord, for those who have, I pray, Lord, they would be encouraged this Lord's day. That our confidence does not rest in man. Confidence does not rest in ourself. Confidence must be fully in You. It's what the Gospel shows us. It's what the Scripture shows us. What Your Spirit reveals to us through it. Lord, help us to respond in any way You are calling us this Lord's day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.